Hello and welcome back to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Hello there. We are going to be reviewing the very first article. What? Not the very first article, from, from the very first Journal of Book of Mormon Studies. That's fair. Yeah. From the very first Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, Secret Combinations Revisited by Daniel C. Peterson. And uh, this one is an interesting thing because we don't talk a whole lot about We've, we've talked about the origin of Nephi and things like that, but we don't spend a lot of scholarship, I don't think, on the Gadianton robbers and and secret combinations. We don't. We just we kind just... of assume that, yeah, they were there. Yeah. 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 And um, it's interesting. This is a short piece uh, from the uh, tail end of the journal. It was from the section called Notes and Communications. Stuff to come back to later with more extensive research. But here... Um, Professor Peterson answers a criticism of the Book of Mormon as that the secret com- O's and secret combinations were just Joseph Smith playing with uh, Masonic, st- Masonic prejudices in his day. And he points out that the phrase secret combinations was not just used to refer to the Masons. It was used to refer to a lot of different like, combinations, uh, conspiracies, yeah. especially financial this was used before, and this is 1992. He didn't. A lot of the stuff from the early 19th century wasn't digitized. Out of interest, last night when I was uh, reading over and preparing for this, I popped a Google, popped the phrase "secret combinations" into a Google engram search, and actually found attestations from 1800 to 1830 and documents that were not referring uh, to Masons. It was kind of cool uh, to see that, to see how far scholarship has come when it comes to digitization and how many documents are available now that, that weren't before, which any of our listeners who do family history, we're very grateful that stuff <laughs> from back then has been digitized because yeah. otherwise we would have had to go to the archives ourselves and find it, and that's beyond most of us. Well, some people might be going, let's just assume that the historians, even in their day, that were saying that this meant he was speaking about Masons. So what? Mm-hmm. I mean, why why... When I first read this article, I was like, okay, that's fine, but what difference does this make? Why, why, would they, why would someone, a historian that wanted to kind of erode the historicity or authenticity of the Book of Mormon, bring this up as an issue? Uh, they would use this as an issue, and this is, uh, this is Peterson answering a specific um, criticism to show that these are elements of Joseph's immediate environment that he could have used to weave into a text that he was creating. It's showing that Joseph using, or the term secret combinations being used in Joseph's translation of the Book of Mormon, is not something that you can immediately just say, oh, that's the only way they ever talked about Masons back then. See, Joseph made it up. It's showing, no, this is a phrase that was in not common, but not uncommon usage in the 19th century, which makes sense because this is being translated into the language of, of Joseph's day. Yeah. And... It's giving evidence for that. Not only is this an interesting piece for apologetic reasons and that it defends the Book of Mormon, it defends Joseph. It's interesting just because we don't think about this time period during the early 19th century and the environment in which Joseph was translating the Book of Mormon. What is going on during American history at this time? Uh, This is the time of Andrew Jackson. This is the time of Henry Clay. Politicians that are not so fondly and some... I actually like Henry Clay. But... (laughs) (laughs) I thought his American system was a good idea. But this is an environment we don't consider. When we talk about the early 19th century, too often sometimes we just focus on the church half of it. We don't focus on 
the actual environment of it. Yeah. And I think it's valuable to, to, to study that and research that ourselves so we can understand why Joseph reacted the way he did, why they couldn't get help in Missouri, for instance, later on, what was going on with states' rights versus federal rights there, why Martin Van Buren uh, wouldn't step in to help them. As we get to know the 19th century context better, our understanding of church history will improve. And I think that's what a lot of the what a lot what saints and similar other essays that are being published by the church history department are trying to do for the members of the church. They're trying to help us be more historically literate. Yeah. And you, you kind of alluded to this at the beginning uh, a little bit, but I think one of the fun parts for me with this particular article is that it was written in the 90s. 92. And at that time, again, he was saying this criticism of the Book of Mormon, you can't draw this conclusion. There hasn't been enough research on it. And even as he went back and did just a little bit of research. He found his, something. He found something. And as you pointed out, now 20, 30 years later, there's ample evidence to show that the conclusion that these critics made was wrong, was without basis. And there's so many different ways in which that's happening with Book of Mormon scholarship. You know, Book of Mormon Central being one of those people that are showing that and bringing that scholarship to light. But there's so many different ways where if people just take the time and be patient that a lot of the criticisms of the Book of Mormon will be able to be addressed and in some cases like this one will be obliterated. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We, we're in a unique time of culture right now and it, we're seeing it combated a bit, but people tend to believe things they read on the internet. On the face of it. On the face of it. And there's been some really good stuff done by folks like Sam Weinberg and actually John Green with this crash course trying to improve online literacy and check the backgrounds, like check the references, check the footnotes, know who's saying it. And I think that's really, really important when we encounter criticisms is to go not just – sometimes we feel this feeling of betrayal like, oh my gosh, I never was taught this. I never knew this. And that's an understandable reaction. But it's important to step back and say, okay, who's saying this? What's their evidence? Why are they saying it? Why are they saying it? And does it actually hold up? That's why I love, I have fun with websites like Snope, uh, Snopes, Snoops. Yeah. Whenever I see like an article on Facebook, everybody's sharing it going, okay, is this actually true? And I'll back out and try and see what's going on. I think that's a valuable lesson for members of the church to learn yeah. is to be careful. So here we go with a reading of Dan Peterson's Secret Combinations Revisited. And uh, make sure to stay subscribed to our podcast. We'll have some more episodes coming up shortly. See you guys later. Notes and Communications, Secret Combinations Revisited by Daniel C. Peterson in the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, 1992. It has long been contended by critics of the Book of Mormon that its Gadianton robbers are merely 19th century Freemasons transparently disguised. As one of their chief arguments for that notion, such writers as David Persuit and Robert Hullinger have pointed out that the Book of Mormon refers to the Gadiant robbers using the same phrase, secret combination, with which contemporary newspapers referred to the Masons during the great anti-Masonic agitation of the late 1820s. One can easily demonstrate, though, that the word combination was commonly used in the 19th century and earlier in the sense of, quote-unquote, conspiracy. Thus, its use for the robbers of Gadianton seems to bear little real significance for the question of Book of Mormon authorship. 
proving at best that the text's English vocabulary is most likely that of a 19th century American, but this was never endowed. However, in a 1989 article, Dan Vogel took the argument even further. At the time of the Book of Mormon's publication, he claimed, the term secret combinations was used almost exclusively to refer to Freemasonry. According to this view, which soon tends to lose its modest almost, it is the phrase as a whole that uniquely denotes Freemasonry, and so points to a 19th century origin for the Book of Mormon, as well as to the real identity of the presumably fictional Gadiant robbers. The obvious problem with such a view is that it is difficult to see why the joining of a common adjective like secret to a common term of the day like combination should be regarded as a technical piece of esoteric jargon so distinctive as to constitute a definitive test of authorship or a conclusive refutation of the Book of Mormon's historical authenticity. The evidence supporting Vogel's claim, furthermore, seems to have been drawn from an overly narrow sampling of documents and to be simply too sparse to sustain him. I noted this in 1990. Quote, Vogel's own evidence, which consists of seven anti-Masonic newspaper quotations, merely demonstrates what has been known for many years, that the phrase was indeed sometimes employed in reference to Masons. But this is a far cry from demonstrating that such was its exclusive use. What is needed before one can confidently declare that the phrase secret combination was never used in non-Masonic contexts in the 1820s and 30s is a careful search of documents from that period of American history that have nothing to do with the controversy surrounding the Masons. This has not yet been done. End quote. I made a small effort in that direction for my 1990 article, but the results, while they were interesting and suggested that Vogel was probably wrong, remained inconclusive. A computerized search of available 19th century federal and state court opinions revealed ten occurrences of the phrase secret combinations, not one of which referred to the Masons. Unfortunately, though, the earliest of these dated only to 1850, fully two decades after the publication of the Book of Mormon. This lack of pre-1850 references was, I believe, a merely accidental effect on the fact that court decisions of the first half of the century remained largely uncomputerized, and so could not be easily searched. Following a somewhat different research direction, I located a passionate 1831 attack on bar associations by a Massachusetts journalist named Frederick Robinson, in which such phrases as secret bar association, secret brotherhood of the bar, combination, conspiracy, secret society, and secret fraternity all appeared in close proximity. It seemed mere bad luck that the precise phrase secret combination did not actually occur. However, the fact remained that a non-Masonic occurrence of the precise phrase secret combination had not been located prior to 1850. At this point, though, I elected to retire from the issue. I am a medieval Islamicist, not an American historian. I could only say in parting that the conservative character of legal language, coupled with the fact that the phrase secret combinations occurred at least 10 times in court decisions issued between 1850 and 1898, certainly suggested that exploration of older court materials would likely find earlier occurrences of the phrase. And there remained the tens of thousands of pages of non-legal writing from Jacksonian America, which I had neither the time nor the patience to comb. Can anyone doubt, I wrote rather resignedly, that a more extensive search in period writings will locate precisely that phrase? Indeed, 
I have now quite unintentionally located precisely that phrase, secret combination, used in a plainly non-Masonic context in a letter from late 1826. This establishes that the phrase was being used to refer to things other than Freemasonry before Joseph Smith obtained the plates from which he translated the Book of Mormon, as well as after. The 1828 presidential campaign sank to depths that make today's dirty campaigning seem like a church choir rehearsal. For example, Charles Hammond, the editor of the Cincinnati Gazette and a fervent partisan of Henry Clay, advanced the claim that Clay's rival, Andrew Jackson, had never actually been legally married to his wife. Hammond was strident and shrill in his accusations. Ought a convicted adulterous and paramour husband to be placed in the highest offices of this free and Christian land, he demanded? This was one of many brutal charges and countercharges traded during the election campaign. A leading Clay newspaper was the Washington National Journal, but it was particularly resented by General Jackson. And when his wife died at the end of the campaign, Jackson held Clay personally responsible. A being so gentle and so virtuous, he said, slander might wound, but could not dishonor. Indeed, Jackson had long felt that Clay was behind such attacks. Even the aged and virtuous female had written to Sam Houston on the 15th of December, 1826, could not escape his secret combinations of base slander. The importance of this passage should be obvious. Here, as I have said, we have a non-Masonic occurrence of the term secret combination from the period immediately prior to the translation of the Book of Mormon. Indeed, the individual using the phrase, General Andrew Jackson, was himself a very prominent Mason. Had he known the phrase was referring uniquely to Freemasonry, or even as predominantly associated with Freemasonry, it seems highly unlikely that he would have used it in this pejorative way against a despised opponent. Yet, by the date of Jackson's letter to Houston, 15th of December, 1826, the hysteria surrounding the murder or disappearance of William Morgan, which Brody and others have imagined to be reflected in the Book of Mormon, and during which, we are told, the phrase secret combination referred exclusively to Freemasonry, was already approximately three months old. Thus, we can now say, without fear of contradiction, that non-Masons could be accused of involvement in secret combinations, both before and after the publication of the Book of Mormon, and even most particularly during the anti-Masonic hysteria of the late 1820s. It is not often that so neat a refutation of historical claim present itself. Yet since my own desultory readings on American history and politics have supplied this counterexample, one can confidently predict that a true search of period writings would furnish many more. The claim that the Book of Mormon's secret combinations, simply because they are called secret combinations, necessarily betray their origins in 19th century anti-Masonic paranoia can now be definitely laid to rest. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast. This has been a presentation of Book of Mormon Central. Please stay subscribed to our podcast in iTunes or on SoundCloud. And visit the archive for Book of Mormon Central at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Thanks for listening.